The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. It is October 30th, 2012, and I am really pleased to be with you today because I wasn't sure it was going to happen yesterday as we uh, as we uh, endured a, the storm of a century here in New York City. Uh, but here in the borough of Queens, where Mrs. Taylor and I live, uh, thankfully we are located in a relatively high point uh, on the western uh, end of Long Island, uh, essentially. Um, and uh, so we weathered the storm very well, and we're very thankful for that. We, uh, I think we lost 10 seconds of, uh, of power perhaps yesterday. Other than that, um, it was a very, uh, very interesting experience, to say the least, a harrowing experience, probably a better choice of words, as the wind howled and the trees bent over, and um, we, uh, we were just very thankful to be here today, to be here alive and well, and to have power. Many people didn't uh, fare nearly as well, of course. Um, Chen Lin, our partner in New Jersey, uh, this morning at least, was without power, running on a generator there. And, of course, it got a lot worse than that for many other people. There were some, as I understand it, the last I saw some 33 people along the eastern seaboard who lost their lives in this uh, tragic storm. Of course, the economic costs are going to be enormous for the city of New York. We're looking, uh, perhaps most damaging being the subway system where... Um, I believe it was something like four feet above the record uh, amount of, um, of, of ocean that, fe- that, uh, that came into the southern end of Manhattan, where Wall Street, uh, where the Wall Street Stock Exchange is, and Wall Street and uh, Canal Street above that. When this huge, uh, four, huge swell of water that came in and flooded the subways with salt water, which will make uh, the um, make fixing up the system very costly and time-consuming, from what I understand. It's uh, it's going to be probably several uh, days, if not several weeks, uh, at least a couple of weeks, before power is restored to uh, this area of the country. 
and uh, it could be several weeks from what I understand before the subway service is fully restored. And um, those of you who may have visited New York or those of us especially who live here know exact, know how extremely important the subway systems are in getting around, um, I don't know, six or eight million people a day take the mass transit system here in New York City. So, But thankfully, uh, we're well, and uh, we're here to talk to you today uh, to help us sort of uh, Get a sense of the economic impact of this storm. I'm going to be talking to Gene Epstein. He's going to be joining me after the first break here at about a quarter after uh, quarter after three New York time. Um, but for now, um, I'd say that we uh, well, Gene will be here to talk about that. Um, let me just uh, though mention that uh, just want to thank each of you for listening to this show and. Uh, it is the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks to you for listening. And um, I'd like to also remind you that I am um, not only a host of this show, but also uh, the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's uh, Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And Chen Lin, um, well, this is the last day. Actually, tomorrow will be the last day that you can order a subscription to Chen Lin before you'll need to put your name on a, uh, on a waiting list going forward uh, in, into the future. Uh, and then every quarter, the first 10 days or so of the quarter, we will uh, allow new people to come in as subscribers. But uh, that's the new policy, and as of uh, today yet, you can order a subscription to what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling, and uh, tomorrow until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, you can do that, but I wouldn't wait. Uh, if you want to do it, you better you better do it right away. Um, just to tell you also, miningstocks.com, you can go to to sign up for my newsletter, uh, and um, also I'd like to remind you that you, uh, that you can go to jtaylormedia.com to access this radio show as well as, uh, uh, as everything else I do, and also you can follow me on Twitter uh, with uh, the handle being jtaylormedia. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable, and our sponsors for today's show uh, are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. I, I do want to say that I think we have a great group of sponsors. Um, I think that they have uh, some tremendous upside potential. Uh, for sure, the less risky ones being those like an airway that's in production, a nice little growing company, uh, produced, I, I think, five times more oil last year than they did the year before. Of course, that's coming off a very small base. But they are a profitable little company uh, and looking to pretty much double production this year uh, in Alberta and earned uh, $2.8 million uh, last year in profit um, with a company that has a market cap of uh, $25 million now, selling at about $0.46. Cents. Aura Vista Gold um, is another company that we'll be talking to the sponsors of the uh, – to the CEOs of these sponsors in due course, but – I, in my view, and I keep saying I believe we are in the bull market of a lifetime for junior, uh, for gold mining companies, not necessarily junior mining companies, it's going to be the best of times and the worst of times for companies that can produce the goods, that can produce the gold and can show that they have at least uh, an economically viable deposit in the ground that makes sense, or better yet, those that have production uh, that have cash flow can then be the people in the driver's seat to scoop up projects the main difficulty that the little guys have right now is the ability to raise capital and put uh, the speculative capital to put it holes in the ground. Very high risk game, uh, and so um, 
Aravista, though, is a company that already has nearly 3 million ounces of gold in Quebec, a very a desirable place, one of the most desirable places to do business in the world uh, from a mining perspective is Quebec. So Aravista selling at 24 cents uh, with a market cap of about $16 million. Blue Sky Uranium, I, for my uh, way of thinking, if you want a speculative penny stock that I think could really become a big a big winner, Blue Sky Uranium is certainly one, and it's one that I've owned, uh, purchased myself. It's selling at 8.5 cents, $2 million market cap. So why would you want a little company that nobody else seems to want like that? Uh, you know, why would you buy something that nobody else wants? Well, sometimes that's the best kind of a company to buy when nobody else wants it, if it has value. We don't know for sure if Blue Sky Uranium has value yet, but Areva thinks it has a good chance. The giant uh, uh, nuclear power company in France has picked the the project that they are joint venturing with Blue Sky and spending the money to develop, uh, they consider that to be one of their top three projects around the world. Areva's looking for large-scale deposits uh, that um, is also uh, that has the potential to become very, very large. And so, for a two million dollar market cap, you know, I, we're going to be talking to Sean Hurd, the CEO of that company, as well. Uh, my wife just reminded me that Bravada. Uh, Bravada Gold is also a sponsor that just came on this week as a sponsor, a company with a project in Nevada. We'll be talking to them sometime in the near future. Also, minuscule market cap, uh, and it's a company that uh, has now an arrangement uh, with a producing company uh, that I think could make this into a big winner as well with lots of upside potential. Brazil Resources is a, a sponsor of this show. Um, Amir Adnani will be coming on in the near future to talk about his company's prospects in Brazil. Uh, it's a $42 million market cap company, a dollar one earlier today when I looked at it. One of the things, uh, in, uh, Amir has already acquired a couple of very outstanding properties, and one advanced stage property that I'm aware of in Brazil. But one of the things that makes this a very attractive story, in my view, is not only uh, that it is run by Amir Adnani, who has a very good track record and is considered one of the up-and-coming executives in this space, but also the fact that they have a, uh, a, Braz- a Brazilian financing arm, a company, a banking entity in Brazil that is very much uh, behind this company, has a big share interest in it. Eurasian Minerals, uh, another one of my favorite companies, a project generator company and uh, project generator model, I think, is one of the best ways for people to play the junior sector. I think project generators, because they spread the risk and they have other people spending their money, uh, as uh, I just mentioned, Blue Sky Uranium is doing that in uh, in uh, with its uranium project, but Eurasian Minerals, uh, gold and copper targets uh, in the United States, uh, in uh, in Turkey, uh, in Haiti, in Australia, various places, and they now have uh, over $6 million in royalty income coming in as well. So these project generator companies avoid the biggest risk that I see for the junior mining sector, and that is dilution. Um, Eurasian Minerals is selling at $2.28, has a huge amount of cash on its balance sheet, has big companies like uh, Newmont and, well, you just name them, the, the large gold producers and copper producers are spending huge money to earn huge, uh, looking for huge properties uh, for Eurasian Minerals. And yes, Eurasian might keep only 70% or so of those properties, but if they hit something big, um, the the shareholders can do extremely well. And again, 
the avoidance of shareholder dilution is the big attraction to these companies. Millrock Resources, and we're going to be talking to Gregory Beischer at about 4.30 today. Gregory is the CEO of Millrock Resources. This is a company with some outstanding copper targets in Arizona and some golden copper targets in Alaska, selling at 30 cents, market cap of $23 million. Uh, I think, again, as a project generator with big companies spending big bucks to look for big projects, very attractive. Northern Free Gold is a company that has just under 6 million gold equivalent ounces in um, uh, in the Yukon. I think it's a very attractive story with an $18 million market cap, 14.5 cents. The company uh, is uh, uh, situated in the Yukon in an area where infrastructure is not nearly the problem. In fact, a power line not that far away, uh, access to the property. Very important aspect when you're looking at the junior mining companies. And last but not least, I should mention Riverside Resources at 74 cents, $26 million market cap, another project generator uh, company with the major companies spending in Mexico, Arizona, and British Columbia looking for gold and copper as well. Well, let's turn to today's show. Uh, today, my uh, one of my main guests is Dominic Frisbee. He appears uh, for the first time. He is a well-known British uh, stand-up comedian, and uh, as he's also known as an actor uh, and TV personality in, in Britain. Uh, but he is also uh, warning people these days of something that isn't so, so funny and entertaining, and that is the enormous uh, perils and social injustice of fiat money. And Dominic uh, is also writing a book called uh, Beyond the State, so we will want to ask him about that as well as why uh, why he is so down on fiat money. Um, if fiat money is the curse of our generation, well, is there good news ahead? Could it be that the laws of Mother Nature, the laws that Adam Smith talked about, uh, could it be that they are leading the global uh, monetary system back to gold? Well, we're going to be talking uh, to John Butler uh, today for a second time. John Butler has uh, written a book, a uh, very interesting book on the topic, uh, the, gold, uh, the Golden Revolution, and we'll be talking to him at about 4 o'clock. We're going to ask him why he thinks a return to gold uh, is, uh, is so eminent and um, you know, what that might mean in terms of uh, market prices, uh, the direction of markets to come. So We've got a, a very interesting uh, day ahead of us here, a, a show ahead of us. I think Christopher Cooper uh, was of Aero Energy, was going to be with us, as we announced earlier. Uh, he has uh, rescheduled, so we'll be talking to Christopher uh, Cooper, the CEO of Airway Energy, next week. And as I mentioned a little earlier, Gregory Beischer will be with me at uh, about 4.30 today to talk about uh, Millrock Resources. So uh, we do have to go to commercial break now. When we come back, we're going to talk to Gene Epstein. I'm going to ask him for uh, for his views on on the global, uh, well, let's, let's say on the U.S. economy and what uh, the, the horrendous uh, hurricane we had might do to uh, the outlook for our economy. And uh, we'll get some of Gene's other ideas also. Let, us, uh, let him tell us about the upcoming New York City Junto meeting uh, in New York City. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Gene Epstein. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. 
Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to turning hard times into good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again Gene Epstein, uh, now a fairly regular once a month uh, contributor to this show. Gene writes a column, uh, The Economic Beat uh, for Barons. Uh, it's an excellent column, and I would encourage you all to, to read that uh, whenever you, and pick up, of course, pick up a copy of Barons or read it online, I suppose. Uh, welcome, Gene. Good to have you back. Well, nice to be back. And it's nice to know that we are both safe and sound here in the city. You had a little harder time of it than I living in Queens. We, uh, where I live in Queens, we didn't have, haven't had any power outages. We feel very, very fortunate. Uh, you've had a little tougher time, but tell our listeners a little bit about your day yesterday. Well, uh, didn't go to work uh, because uh, it looked as though uh, it wasn't the best idea. I live uh, three miles downtown from the Midtown office in uh, News Corp on 47th and 6th Avenue. I live essentially on 3rd Street off 3rd Avenue, although it's called Great Jones off Bowery. And uh, to our astonishment, at uh, I guess it was around 6, 6.30, suddenly uh, everything went uh, black, and uh, we've had no uh, no power since and uh, not much in the way of flashlights. We went to bed early and um, woke up in the morning, and uh, 
But we decided that I'd go to the office and started to walk uptown. Three miles wouldn't have been so terrible. My wife, I took my wife as well, and we hailed a cab. So we're happy that at least News Corp on 47th and 6th Avenue, where the base of operations has been unaffected. But we're going to walk back or take a cab back this evening and make do. And hopefully the power will come back on within a couple of days, I trust. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, I know um, that uh, it, it it could take it take, could take longer than that for some people. I noticed that uh, I think they said that the last storm last year when we had the storm that came through here, uh, there were some people uh, not in New York City but throughout the whole area. It took nine days in New Jersey to get some of yeah. us back on. So let's, let's yeah. hope you don't have to wait that long. But as you yeah, say, at least well. you're safe. <laughs> Now, now, Gene, uh, you wrote your last article. You wrote about uh, it was titled uh, "The Pentagon's Timely Contribution to GDP." Well, we we have had a pretty lousy GDP, as you pointed out repeatedly in your articles uh, before this storm. Do you think this is going to have a negative uh, impact, or like the Keynesians always like to say, we're, probably it's good for the economy because now we're going to spend more money? Well, yes, it's uh, it's always good for the economy when uh, things get get destroyed, as far as the. Keynesians are concerned. There's a classic uh, piece by uh, Donald Boudreau, the economist at George Mason, a direct uh, offer to, uh, I won't mention the man's name, but uh, an economist who thought uh, that uh, Hurricane's Great uh, will rebuild and this, this will, it will mean that what we will rebuild will be better than, than what got torn down. And Boudreau offered uh, to go over to the guy's house and, uh, and dissemble it and uh, uh, raise it to the ground. Because after all, the house he's going to put in its place will no doubt be a sounder house and more valuable. And the great tagline was Boudreaux said, I won't even clean up after the mess because that will create jobs in your neighborhood. So clearly, uh, this is uh, never good, this uh, kind of uh, destruction. And even the economic activity of uh, rebuilding is often just a diversion from what other economic activity might be. So even in the, in the crazy Keynesian sense that destruction is good, even, it doesn't even make good nonsense, even in their terms. But actually, uh, I'm not sure that the uh, that the hurricane, and, and this may be wishful thinking, because when you just mentioned eight days of uh, of no electricity, you put me in a slight state of shock. But um, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the wishful thinking and point out that that the the, the hurricane uh, which struck, of course, not this area, but New Orleans and surrounding states, in um, tragically, of course, in August of 2005 was uh, the costliest hurricane in history. But if you look at what the GDP did in that same quarter, which would have been uh, the July-September quarter in, in 2005, and uh, again, the hurricane struck in August of 05, as you may recall, uh, GDP growth was actually an annualized 3.2% up from the previous quarter of one8 And uh, in the subsequent quarter, uh, fourth quarter, which would have been the October D's quarter, GDP um, declined, growth to, uh, slowed to 2.1%. I'm not sure that it has, uh, it will have any kind of enormous effect uh, on GDP, even though, of course, it's hitting sort of high GDP-producing states. 
So that's the best I can do with that. But I, I do want to say something, especially since you mentioned my column about the Pentagon, yeah. that uh, this was the first time uh, in my uh, history as a columnist that I actually began to think that maybe there was some government conspiracy involved with the numbers. As you may recall, when the unemployment number uh, fell to 7.8% uh, officially uh, last month, the, that, that, that was the unemployment rate as of September, there were uh, many accusations, uh, especially uh, most prominently from Jack Welch, yes. uh, of the uh, you know formerly of GE, that uh, the numbers were cooked by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And uh, I've, I always have readers over the years who believe that's the case. Uh, I point out to them that in fact, and, and in fact this this is thoroughly recounted in my book and I, about Nick, what Nixon tried to do to the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, when he was uh, up for re-election that he really was going after all the Jews at the BLS. He was he was he had a paranoid impression that uh, the Jews at the BLS, one in particular was was trying to make him look bad with, uh, with high unemployment figures but uh, that was a direct campaign but uh, we know that it didn't work and they stood their ground. And uh, my point to, to readers who believe in, in, in data conspiracies of that sort is that uh, the, the, the conspiracy is only strongest, weakest link. If it, if it happened uh, very often or even infrequently, somebody uh, would have blown the whistle, somebody would have squealed, somebody would have told the press. Um, so that's why I think it's unlikely. But in this case, it was a different matter in the case of the GDP, because this is what happened. We had a GDP number that printed a 2% uh, for the third quarter of uh, this year, up from 1.3% in the uh, previous quarter. But, um, but in fact, private sector GDP ticked down. If you, that's, that means then if you take government out of the GDP figure, private sector GDP actually ticked down a bit from 1.4% in the previous quarter to 1.3%. So all of the difference, the only reason why there was an increase was uh, from the federal government. And not just the federal government, but almost entirely from the Defense Department. There's some, there was some kind of very strange bunching of orders and requisitions from the Defense Department that boosted GDP, it took it at 2%. 2%. It was all the Pentagon. And, uh, and now, in fact, you also find that in most quarters, the Pentagon hasn't contributed very much. So I'm open to the possibility that somebody sent the word out uh, that the government should do some heavy lifting in the final quarter just prior um, to, uh, to the election. Uh, now, obviously, the government can't exactly influence uh, uh, and of course, I'm not, I'm not accusing the statistical uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis of being dishonest. They just report the numbers that come in. There was a, a huge increase in defense, and I believe that it was partly cooked. And I do notice that Obama sympathizing newspapers do play it up, that progress is being made after 7.8% unemployment and, and, uh, and, and GDP increasing. Now, it didn't mean very much because 2% GDP growth is still pathetic, uh, even given the influence of the Pentagon, uh, because ultimately they couldn't influence the, the, the lackluster private sector, because most disconcertingly, while consumer spending was up a bit, um, in, investment was flat, capital investment was flat, and that's really what has to recover if we're going to see any kind of recovery. Um, now, you asked another question by email, so why don't I just anticipate it? You asked, well, what, what would it take? Um, we've had basically 2% growth um, since uh, the recovery began uh, 13 quarters of, of recovery uh, since the end of the great re technical end of the Great Recession in the second quarter of 2009, but it's averaged 
2%. And uh, that's in contrast to the recovery, uh, for example, from uh, the last deep recession in, in the early 1980s, where uh, the economic growth averaged about 6%, three times faster, or uh, uh, reaching a little further back, the, the recession that was also quite serious, 73-74, uh, recovery uh, ran about 4 to 5%. So either double or triple um, is what we should have expected this time around, and, uh, and we didn't get it. Right. Well, but it's, it's certainly your point is well taken. Uh, some higher numbers, uh, you know, the, the campaign uh, can claim that, uh, well, things are getting better. Yes, we inherited a horrible mess from Mr. Bush, uh, but we've been making things better. And see, we're on the upswing now as this election starts. So, you know, it probably has some marginal impact. But it would be interesting to know, you know, who I guess those orders can go out uh, from somebody in government decide. It's more of an accounting issue than anything. So they'll recognize some income now and uh, uh, some sales. Uh, some revenues coming into the to the treasury now that they would otherwise have rec- uh, recognized well, later revenue, on. Well, of course, yes. Well, actually, of course, it's a little bit sicker than that because, of course, many of us uh, also like to focus simply on private sector GDP. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of philosophical and economic debate as to what the government really contributes. But this right. was strict. This was very – the reason why this was especially suspicious is that it was very concentrated. Government consists of, of uh, so-called contribution to GDPs, mainly con- consumer spend, the spending by government and uh, federal, state, and local. Uh, state and local were flat. The federal was mostly flat. It all came from defense spending, all, just 90% of it, 90% of the, of the boost uh, in GDP came from defense. So that's very concentrated, very localized. Now, you know, we, 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 we needn't quibble for the moment with, with the idea that spending on defense is economic activity and therefore uh, belongs in GDP. But uh, we, we do wonder why it all happened. Uh, in such a concentrated fashion, in the in the, uh, the to affect the numbers in the, in the quarter just prior uh, to uh, the election, uh, that's my only point in that in that regard. And certainly, uh, uh, there should have been more notice of it in the in the mainstream press. Uh, although ultimately, of course, even even two percent is is pretty sick. Pretty dismal, yeah. Uh, it, is, uh, it is certainly not what we need with the high yeah. unemployment we have now, for sure, Gene. And mm-hmm. if we had time, I'd ask you what your yeah. recipe would be to, okay. uh, to to allow us to, maybe we can tackle that one the next time we have you on, sure, how sure. can we get back to some sort of normal growth, but we are out of time, and I've got to ask you, though, about this uh, this Junto meeting, the New York City Junto that's coming up, that is at 20 West 44th Street, every the first Thursday of every month. Mm-hmm. Who is your, uh, who's your main guest uh, this week? Well, uh, an interesting guy named Greg Ramke, who uh, writes a blog called Ec- Economic Thinking, and he's planning, I believe, an, uh, an upbeat talk uh, called The Entrepreneur Army, about entrepreneurial activities around the world. Uh, it starts, uh, it, people start coming in 7, uh, we start making some announcements at 7.30, the, talk, the speaker goes on at 8, and then uniquely at Junto, the speaker gets 45 minutes, but anybody who comes uh, can get a considerable amount of time to challenge the speaker, to have discussions with the speaker, because the, the one unique thing about Junto is the speaker gets 45 minutes, the discussion that follows uh, goes on for about uh, an hour. And and uh, I moderate it, and I make sure that everyone gets their chance and everyone gets uh, their their opportunity to have a dialogue with the speaker. So I do invite people to come, 20 West 44th Street, uh, this coming Thursday evening.
Excellent, Gene. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. Hopefully, if the trains are running from Queens into Manhattan, I'll make it. Yeah. But uh, I do look forward to it. It is uh, it is always a lively discussion, and uh, and you know, I mean, it's good for people to be challenged and to think. And you have a lot of people that uh, that really do some considerable thinking who show up at these uh, at these shows. It's very much worthwhile. Thank you very much, Gene, for being with us, folks. Don't go away. We're going to have Dominic Frisbee with us. He's uh, he'll be here to talk about fiat money and uh, his complaints about the existing monetary system. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dominic Frisbee. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside in my view for these shares is major. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we are supposed to have Dominic Frisbee with us. Unfortunately, there was a mix-up in the time uh, that he was going to be on, uh, though he has uh, said he can be with us in five minutes or so. So we're going to look forward to talking to Dominic um, 
uh, in, an, in another few minutes. Uh, meantime, I'd like to uh, just talk a little bit about the, the gold share markets. I noticed that today uh, the, um, uh, the TSX, that is the Toronto gold share market, is uh, higher. It's looking, very, uh, it's looking better than it had been. Uh, we are in a period of time, though, now for the juniors that are very, very. It's very difficult for, especially those uh, that are uh, that are early stage exploration companies. There are, there is going to be uh, a lot fewer of them. I would say within a year of now, unless we see some sort of an explosion in the market and new money coming into the gold sector. You know, they're uh, they're they're just. Um, are not very, most people don't understand gold. Let's start with that premise. I believe uh, that we're, uh, people that listen to this show have a better understanding, at least from an Austrian perspective. Uh, they understand that gold is, in fact, money, not because it's decreed money, but because it is, uh, the markets have chosen gold as money for various reasons. The properties of gold make it a natural item for barter, a store of value, a, a convenient way to store economic value until you need to use that value to purchase something. Else, so markets have chosen gold as value. Politicians, as Alan Greenspan himself said in Golden Economic Freedom in 1961, when he wrote that article in Ayn Rand's uh, publication, that uh, the reason governments hate gold is because it uh, it keeps away their their. Uh, uh, it takes away their ability to confiscate wealth from those that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the inventors, the farmers, people that actually do things for other people who do things. Well, they are not getting their fair shake. And we talk about this huge decline uh, in the middle class in America. If there is one reason we have this huge decline in the middle class, in my view, it is because of... Uh, fiat money, the ability then of people who control the fiat money system to wrestle wealth away from those who create it. And when we talk to Dominic Frisbee, I'm quite sure uh, he will have something to say about that. He's going to be coming on the show uh, in, a, in a few minutes, hopefully. Uh, what is happening, though, and uh, I'm just looking at an article here from Eric Sprott, uh, he wrote, uh, the article is titled, Weakness Begets More Weakness, and I haven't had a chance to read the entire article, but I did start reading it here before uh, we went on the air uh, earlier today. And uh, he he poses a question, he, Eric Sprott does, he says, how does the U.S. achieve a sustained recovery if 99% of the people continue to suffer perpetual declines in real income? And this is a real problem. I'm seeing a disparity of wealth and concerns from people both on the left and the right that, in fact, what is happening is we are seeing the hallowing out of the middle class in an, an economy in America that looks much more like the banana republics that we used to scorn and talk about in South America and elsewhere. But what we have uh, are numbers that are really uh, that are really meaning that the middle class uh, living standards are shrinking very rapidly. For example, according to the U.S. Bureau, uh, U.S. Census Bureau, in 2011, uh, the median income of U.S. households adjusted for inflation fell to $50,054. This is 4.9% below its 2009 level and 8.9% below its all-time peak of 54932 in 1999. So, um, this this is not encouraging data for sure. This, this is suggesting that uh, the average American household is now almost 9% poorer today than they were 13 years ago. Of course, what the uh, policymakers did was to encourage money supply growth. They, they uh, printed money, so to speak. They, 
increased. They made, pushed uh, monetary reserves into the banking system. Mr. Greenspan did it after the Asian crisis. He then did it after the dot-com crisis. He did it then after, uh, uh, you know, with the housing crisis uh, that, that came about. All of those were artificial bubbles that were created by Mr. Greenspan when he pumped huge amounts of money into the economy. And what it encouraged people to do was to borrow and live beyond their means. So we enjoyed today at the expense of tomorrow. The problem now is that tomorrow is today. We have come to tomorrow, and the tomorrow uh, is is causing us uh, great consternation, uh, lots of difficulties, and a global, a Western world that is in, uh, that is heading down, I think, south very, very rapidly. So um, this is the condition that we are in right now, and we were talking to the economist Gene Epstein. When we have Gene on again sometime, we'll talk to Gene about what he thinks needs to be done to get us back on a growth path. But I think the reality of it is uh, that we uh, that we are going to have to pay for the sins of the past. Well, I understand now that we do have uh, Dominic Frisbee. Uh, Dominic, are you there? Hi, Jay. I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, I do hear you loud and clear. Thank you so much, Dominic, uh, for putting up with us. I'm, uh, my apologies uh, for the miscommunication somewhere along the line. We uh, we didn't. Uh, I don't know what happened, but we'll, we won't worry about that now. We'll give a spank we to whoever, whoever is due one after the show. We don't want to waste time on that now. Okay. Listen, Jay, we got our time differences muddled up, but I'm in a rather unusual situation where um, I was going around to a friend's house. It's the evening here in the UK, and I was planning to um, speak to you in an hour's time uh, from their com- from my computer in their house. But I've got there an hour early because I was very organized, and they're not actually there. So I'm actually speaking to you on my computer in the car outside, having picked up the wireless signal from their house. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you are not only a comedian, but you are also um, you you are also a technician. You're a techie. Well, I just I just got. I mean, I was I was panicking because they didn't answer the door, and then uh, and then I thought, well, I'll just switch my computer on, and fortunately, their their signal stretches out into the street. <laughs> now, now, how does it work uh, for somebody like yourself? You're a comedian, and yeah, uh, I, I understand the best comedians are people who can take tragedies and turn them into something that make you laugh. Uh, well, some, I mean, you know, what is the best com- comedian? That's an Im- entirely subjective thing, sure. uh, Jay. I mean, there are great comedians, you know, if they, if, if, if you make them cry, you can make them laugh. And yeah. there are great comedians who definitely bring a tragic element to their comedy. Yeah. Now, you might not think he is the greatest comedian in the whole world, but in terms of sales, he is the greatest comedian in the whole world in that his TV programs sell more than anyone else's. And that's Mr. Bean. Uh-huh. Now, Mr. Bean, you know, that's that's just a kind of uh, a farcical, you know, slapstick act. But the mm-hmm. reason it sells so well is that uh, it's there's no language element to it. It's silent. It's visual comedy. So it translates into any language. And as a result, it's a huge blockbuster. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Well, I want to get on to uh, what what is really striking about you, Dominic, is that you, uh, as a comedian, as a TV personality in Britain, uh, you know, makeover artist, all these things that you've done, uh, you're very well known, but somehow you've been able to latch on to a very, very, I think, a most serious subject, and that is the serious, the topic of money, fiat money. And I watched a, a video, uh, it was a speech that you had made in, in January in London, uh, January 11th, I think, at, uh, at a conference that you spoke at. Uh, and, you know, I found it, I found it fascinating. I, I think I agreed with everything you said. Um, 
Uh, I, you know, don't know where to start here, uh, but I would say that um, the Bread and Circus Act. We talked to a, to a person we had on a very successful hedge fund manager last week, and I, ta- you know, he saw the problems coming before 2008. My friend David Tice saw it. Ron Paul saw it. Uh, James Turk saw it. I don't know if you saw it then, if you were in uh, making people laugh and didn't have time to look. But I asked uh, my guest last week why, you know, some people could see it so clearly and most people couldn't see the problems coming. Now, the timing was another issue. When we were going to see, you know, when we were going to see the bottom fall out of the market was, a, was another issue. But that it would was in, in, not in my doubt, in my mind, any doubt about it. And a lot of other people who looked at the world, James Turk for sure, uh, looked at the world through the through an Austrian economic perspective. But my guest last week thought that it was, you know, that Americans don't see it in part because of a bread and circus atmosphere. We are always entertained by all kinds of things going on. I mean, we have we have American football. We have. Um, you know, do you think, so you think you can dance, it's a British thing, I guess. You know, we have all of these distractions. We just want to be entertained all the time. How did you, you're, you're still in the entertainment business, are you not? I am, I am indeed, yes. But you are also in a very serious business. You're, you're writing a book, and let me just mention to the people, uh, Life After the State is a book that you are now, I think, writing. Is that right? That's right, yeah, that's right. And also, I, le- I want our people to know, because I didn't get a chance to read through your bio here, uh, it will be published on our website for sure at the Voice America website. Uh, y- you were involved also uh, in, a, in a documentary, putting together a documentary called The Four Horsemen. Tell our listeners about that. Well, and, and- I, I will. I'll, I'll come to that in just a moment, Jay. Mm-hmm. Just just let me just back, back, backtrack a little bit. Um, you know, I'm first and foremost a comedian, but this subject of money and money creation, I became interested in it in about 2006, quite by accident. And there's something about the subject of money and economics that is totally and utterly absorbing. And I became fascinated with it and by it at the expense almost of all other areas of my life. It was just, and I could see what was going on. And in terms of predicting the financial crisis there was certainly you know as a result of following people like james turk and others you know i certainly can say that i saw that some kind of disaster was coming but i mean i was wrong in some regards because i thought gold would be considerably higher by now i thought some of those tiddly little junior mining companies would have done considerably better than they have Mm -hmm. and i thought the bond market would have capitulated by now Mm -hmm. and um but so you know there are things i got right uh, and there are things I got wrong. I certainly knew that we were headed for some kind of, um, you know, huge debt deflation and, and a huge repricing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, moving on to the next subject, this subject of money creation. Mm-hmm. This is, in my opinion, the way money gets created is possibly the most insidious force in the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, it totally benefits those who... Uh, are at who have the power to create money or are at its issuance at the expense of everyone else so if you're a bank or a government and you have this power to create money or create debt you you know everyone at the beginning of that process benefits because they get this new money early before the rest of the market has adjusted itself and repriced itself uh to reflect the new money in circulation Mm -hmm. so it's it's always 
you know, your proverbial farmer, your teacher, those on fixed incomes, those who are a long distance away from where money gets created, who lose out at the expense of, of those who are at or near um, the, the creation of money. So it's why that the, both the government, the state and, and the financial sectors have both grown so big in the last 40 years. It's because of this process has just compounded again and again over time. And we all know about the incredible effects of of compounding. And and it's why, you know, that, you know, rich one percent or the, you know, the, as so as seem to be getting so much richer mm -hmm. while everyone else seems to be sinking further and further in, into debt mm -hmm. just to be able to afford the things that they were previously able to to buy. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 well, the reason it's so insidious is because it's so relentless and so invisible. Right. And uh, and and. You know, the more people that are alert to this, and I've got no jokes about it, Jay, I'm, I'm no. ashamed to say, because no. as soon as I start going on, if I were to go on stage in a comedy club and start talking about like this, you know, everyone's going, I don't want this, is, I'm, I want jokes, I don't want this kind of stuff. Right. So, so, you know, it's not something I talk about when I'm on stage in a comedy club, but it's, it's what, very much what my book is about. And, you know, we have a flawed, flawed system of money that benefits the few at the expense of the many. And we need to reform our system of money and our system of banking. I don't know how many people you have talking on the show about banking, but my big bugbear is fractional reserve banking. And we need to go back to full reserve banking, which in case I'm sure your listeners understand the difference. Basically, a bank can only lend out what it has on deposit. That's full reserve banking. In other, but at fractional reserve banking, of course, a bank can lend out uh, almost inquantifiable amounts as long as it just has a proportion of that amount on deposit right and full reserve banking in in the case of full reserve banking what's so beautiful about it is that debt reflects savings whereas fractional reserve banking debt just gets exponential it's inevitable and yeah. so and, and fractional reserve banking is one of the biggest ways if not the biggest way in which money gets created yeah, uh, there was an excellent quote that you that you gave from uh, Lord Rothschild uh, in your speech uh, that I that I uh, saw on YouTube, um, and I don't know if you would have the exact quote in your mind or not, but it had something to do with exactly what you were saying about the power uh, uh, of having let, control of let money. me control a nation's money, and I care not who makes its laws. Right, that's a very famous quote that needs to be out there more. Uh, it is. We, it's one that does approach, the rounds, yeah. yeah as, we, as we approach a, a political season here in the United States, uh, and of course there was only one political candidate of, of uh, national prominence uh, who brought that up, and that's Ron Paul. There's only one that really yeah. understands that. So, Dominic, I mean, how... Who, who's going to win the election, Jay? Who's going to win? Yeah. Well, I think the American people lose, no matter who wins, because... I both, agree with that. Both of these uh, people are not going to give a rat's behind about... Uh, the topic that you're talking about, which I believe is the most important topic, it is legalized theft. It is a, it is a way for for government, the people that near the the seat of power, to control and and essentially reallocate wealth from I like to say the miners, the the farmers, the inventors, the miners, the manufacturers, the people that yeah. go, that do things for us, the doctors, the dentists too, are are getting uh, uh, are not getting what they used to have in America. They're, they're, uh, they're being yeah. treated the like, rent, like the rent seekers clerk. benefit. Yeah. And so, yeah. But, so Jay, let me, let me ask you. Yeah, go ahead. The, the, the rent seekers benefit. One of the things that strikes me is, is, you know, I come from quite left wing roots. My dad is, uh, 
Uh, I wouldn't say he's a socialist, but he certainly leans to the left of centre. And if he was in the States, he'd vote Democrat. Sure. And, you know, the entertainment industry is, broadly speaking, has a left wing bias to it, much Absolutely. more than it does a right wing bias. Absolutely. And there's this kind of assumption that people on the left are somehow socially conscious, uh, while those on the right don't care. And yet, you know, one of the biggest concerns of those on the left is this... Um, skewed distribution of wealth and they think that somehow government is the answer yeah. and it's not it's the problem if uh -huh. i can you know i'm quoting ronald reagan and i just wish that left-wing people would 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 look harder at our system of money and realize what an insidious force it is and how you fix that and all sorts of other social problems fix themselves and you know, I agree with the sentiments of the left wing, but I don't agree with the methods that they employ in yeah. order to fix what they can, what they see as problems. Yeah, how do we how do we get them to understand that government is the problem and not the answer? Because it, clearly, what you're saying is 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 right about um, you know the, the the majority of people who are who are being really hurt are the people that the Democrats that the liberals that the socialists claim they want to help. And yet yeah. they don't and and I guess what they want to do is just pile up more government, more, you know, let's let's redo the tax uh, scheme. Uh and if you do that, then of course money and capital that's precious and is necessary in order to keep uh any kind of growth in the economy around leaves it finds ways. What's happening to the French right now? Are the French people as I understand it are saying, "Oh, let's get out of here. Let's find another place to employ our well, capital." Right. Listen, I I live in in central London, Jay, mm -hmm. and and, you know, the pound has been very weak over the last five or six years. It was strong until 2007, and it's been in the bear market ever since. Mm -hmm. And one of the victims, bizarrely, of France's uh, huge uh, excess taxation is Londoners, because all the French super rich are buying up property in central London in, in order to flee France. Uh -huh. And Londoners, it's cheap to them because the pound's weak. And meanwhile, the Londoners can't afford to live in central London anymore. And if it's not the French, it's the Greeks. If it's not the Greeks, it's the Italians. If it's not the Italians, it's the Russians. It's the Chinese. It's the Indians. We've even got Brazilians by. And the locals are priced out. Now, I don't mean to sound in any way xenophobic because I'm not. And, you know, people travel. I'm all for, you know, people traveling and immigration and emigration. It's governments that I object to. But because... Londoners, because our currency has been deliberately weakened because of our idiotic leaders, the, the Londoners now pay the penalty because they can no longer afford to live, to live where there. they grew up. Yeah, yeah, it's just all perverse. Uh, the, the whole notion of governments uh, intervening in the in the marketplace. I mean, uh, it's as if we've thrown everything Adam Smith ever had to say out the window. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, the America, which was supposed to be the bastion of, of free market capitalism, is anything but that. It's, uh, it's evolving into something, uh, yeah. very, very pernicious, I'm afraid. And so whoever wins, uh, to me, uh, yeah. I, I tell my listeners and I tell my subscribers that the best vote they can make is probably a non-vote. Or there are candidates out there, um, you know, they can write in Ron Paul or they can write in, um, the, um, the libertarian candidate or somebody that understands because this is so basic and so the founders of our of our country understood it you know you you had so much to say in that video um, i before because we're going to be out of time so quickly here tell people okay. how they can follow what you're doing okay well 
the, the very first thing I say is, is, is the sad thing is how people vote in that election will not make any difference. <laughs> That's the sad thing, whether yeah. it's Romney or Obama, they're almost interchangeable with a slight with a few slight differences mm-hmm. um and that, that's a great tragedy um the the next thing i want to say is, is is how do you educate the left wing i don't know there's there's it's it's riddled with they kind of believe this dogma there's like a communal delusion and yeah. dogmas they kind of spout this dogmatic stuff and and i don't know where it's come from but it bears no relation to reality so i don't know if, if, if it's the internet maybe the internet will you know, the answer or mm-hmm. memes will generate on the Internet and that'll be the answer. Next question to follow how I do. I've got a website, Dominic Frisbee dot com. And um, and every time I'm, I make quite a few videos and I will stick them up there. You can follow my blog on there. It's, I only post, you know, once a fortnight or something. Sure. Um, and I have a little podcast that I host and I must interview on there on uh, one day, Jay. Well, I, I host that. it for for, for uh, it's called Frisbee's Bulls and Bears. And um uh, you can find it at frisbeesballsandbears.com, and I host it with gold money. Yeah. And um, also, I write for a magazine called Money Week, and so you can follow me on moneyweek.com as well. Yeah, you're, you are in many places, and you are a high-energy guy that's providing a lot of very, very important things. You know, I got interested, I'm a lot older than you, Dominic, I got interested in gold back in 1967 when I was a college sophomore at a little Mennonite college in Kansas, and I had a Dr. Peyton Yoder, who was my history professor, who was absolutely convinced there was a correlation between uh, the debasing of a currency and the work ethic of a nation and the morality of a nation. Now I, I, I couldn't agree more. I know, and I, and what really uh, sort of sent shivers up my spine was when I listened to your talk, uh, that uh, January talk in London uh, that was I think the Shivit or Shivit uh, Asset Management, yeah. Shivit Asset, and, and it's and I suppose people can find it, and I would. It's about twenty five minutes or so. I would I would really recommend to my listeners that they that they hunt that up on the internet on YouTube. Uh, uh, it's on video. YouTube. It's called "Why Gold Is the Currency of the Free." That's correct. And and in that, you mentioned a whole a whole lot of of attributes or or problems that have occurred, especially since 1971 when Nixon closed the gold window. When the United States, in its arrogance and its military, I guess the spoils of World War II enabled us to do that. I like to say the Anglo-American Empire shut the uh, the windows and on um, De Gaulle's finger. Uh, shut the gold window on de Gaulle's fingers, and yeah. and we started uh, having problems. But you mentioned exponential increase in debt. Isn't this the problem from an economic perspective? Greatest amount of fraud, uh, greatest number of wars, greatest reallocation of wealth from poor in the middle class to the rich, uh, greatest divorce rate that we've ever seen. And I'm saying, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of get all that stuff, but, you know, divorce. People, people don't think divorce. People think, how is divorce connected to money? Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened is, is as the state has grown and grown and grown, it mm-hmm. started to replace the family. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, it does all sorts of jobs, uh, not nearly as well as the family does it, but it offers itself and it's kind of replacing the family. And so you've seen the breakdown of family over the last 40 years. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really apparent. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, one of the um, manifestations of the breakdown of family is divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and, it's I, awful. and another angle to that, Dominic, that sort of hit me was that uh, uh, having today what you don't have to work for or save for, you're, you're allowed to go out and enjoy today the fruit of your labor in the future sometime, right? And that's what, what debt allows us to do. So you get sort of get used to it in America. 
I mean, it's a sort of rising living standards without paying for it, without without earning it. And then people start to just their mindset starts to go in that direction. Well, I can have what I want, whether it's material comfort or sex or whatever it is. I can have it now. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to be honest about it. I can just get it. Do you think there might be a well, connection in that regard as well? There certainly is. We We live in an age where people feel they don't have to face the consequences of their actions. Yes. They can, I mean, I don't, your health system of health is different in the, um, in the U.S., mm -hmm. but, I mean, here people can eat too much and get fat and they can smoke mm -hmm. and they get ill. And, you know, I'm all for eating and smoking if you want. It's fine by me. But then, you know, the government is expected to provide them health care mm -hmm. so they don't have to face the, the consequences of those actions. And, um, you know, we it's important that people live with responsibility. And because government gives us all these things, it means that government's responsibility for, for things instead of individuals and families and communities. And and so they don't behave in a responsible way. Dominic, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, we we got to I really hope we can have you back again because I've, I've got pages of questions and notes and, and ideas I wanted to talk to you about. We are out of time. One of them is gold. We're going to be talking to a fellow Brit, British uh, citizen of yours, uh, John Butler, after we come back from the break. And John believes we are inevitably heading back to the gold, to a gold standard. I believe that's what he, what he believes. Uh, we're he gonna does. talk, we're gonna talk to him, so you may know John. We're gonna talk to him, and, uh, I, I wanted to ask, get beyond fractional reserve banking, no fractional reserve banking. I think you agree that we need to go back to a commodity monetary, monetary system, right? Well, I, uh, listen, um, Firstly, John is a good guy. I know John. I think he's actually from California, though he lives in London now. Okay. Um, and John, I mean, John and I agree about a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think necessarily that a, um, some kind of gold standard is inevitable. What I would like to see happen, Jay, I mean, I love the idea of gold being used as money, certainly as a store of wealth and a unit of account, maybe not so much for as a scheme of exchange. But, um, you know, I can see what's wrong, but I'm not a I'm not a monetary expert. But since I've come out into the you know, I want to see the free market. I don't want I want to see nobody. Into, I want to see the free market come up with the Excellent. right solution. Excellent. And you know, I've had a guy with a system of money based on photovoltaic cells. And okay. it's brilliant because every time instead of saving money, you put the cell on your roof and it generates so solar power. That's wonderful. Yeah, but it's it's beyond the monopoly of governments. That's the point. Dominic, we're going to have to pick this up again. We're out of time, unfortunately. Uh, sorry again for the uh, time confusion. We'll be talking to you in the near future. I hope we can have you back soon. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Jay. Take care. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with John Butler. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network eurasian minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper the company currently has over 140 properties on four continents our joint venture partners have committed to spend over 15 million dollars on eurasian minerals projects in 2012 the company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000-ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletter